This is episode number 231 with data visualizer Molly Pettit. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show today. And today we've got a very exciting, lively and energetic guest joining us for the episode, Molly Pettit. Molly was one of our speakers at Data Science Go 2018. She did a fantastic job. Audience totally loved her presentation. And what you need to know about Molly is that she is a data visualizer, a professional data visualizer. And right now you might be wondering, why am I stressing that she's a data visualizer and how is that different to a data scientist? Well, in this episode, you will find out exactly why and how those two terms are slightly different. Also in this podcast, we will talk a lot about d3.js, a JavaScript library for creating outstanding phenomenal, mind-blowing visualizations for data science projects. You'll find out exactly when to use D3, exactly when not to use D3, and what are the advantages and disadvantages are of this tool. Molly uses D3 quite a lot. Also in this podcast, you'll get a case study. We'll discuss one of Molly's case studies, which is about Illinois traffic stops when police officers pull over people and what kind of biases may exist there, may not, and how she went about exploring it. I will provide a link where you can actually look at this project as you listen to this podcast or after you listen to this podcast. And finally, we'll talk about using data science for good and how Molly participates in those projects and how you can get involved as well. So a podcast saturated with lots of topics, lots of interesting things that we're going to discuss. Can't wait for you to check it out. And without further ado, I bring to you Molly Pettit, a professional data visualizer. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I've got a super excited guest on the show with us, Molly Pettit. Molly, how are you going today? I'm doing great. How about you? Doing well as well. And uh, how's, uh, how's Chicago these days? That's where you are today, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Chicago is great. Uh, a little bit chilly right now, opposed to where you're at. Um, <laughs> it's just started to snow, so... Wonderful, wonderful. So, but you haven't always been in Chicago, right? You moved there um, a few years ago. Yeah, that's right. I moved here three years ago. Um, I uh, Before that, I was actually living in Abu Dhabi for a few years. And uh, before that, California for grad school. So Wow, such a crazy story. Like, I was, because mm -hmm. um, uh, we met at uh, Data Science Go, and unfortunately, I wasn't a bit a able to attend your talk, but I just watched it on in the Data Science <laughs> Go recordings. And, uh, like, you really have a crazy story, like how you went, you know, into geology and then visualization and things like that. So, I'm really excited to dive into this and learn about sure. or share with all the listeners. Before we get started, 
on that, tell us a bit about like who is Molly Petted? Like what what would you say to somebody you meet for the first time? How would you describe what you do professionally right now? Who is Molly Pettit? Uh, yeah, so I am a freelancer. Um, I uh, do data science and data visualization. Um, and I uh, do a variety of projects. Uh, I, to, nowadays, uh, my focus is mostly on doing a lot of uh, interactive data visualization projects, but um, I still do, but a lot of those sometimes uh, involve um, analysis uh, before the visualization, uh, and then others are just straight up data science analysis projects. So that's a lot of what I do. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And um, so you you moved Chicago for your job, is that correct? I did. Yeah. Okay. So why, do you mind sharing with us what what company do you work for right now? Sure. Uh, well, so right now I actually just work, uh, I work for myself. I started a one person LLC, which is, um, not creatively named Molly Pettit LLC for the moment. Um, <laughs> I actually, um, originally moved to Chicago to work with Datascope analytics, uh, who I worked with for a couple of years and that's a data science consultancy, uh, mm -hmm. which has actually since then been bought by, uh, well acquired by IDEO. So the data science, data scope analytics, um, was the became the data science team at IDEO and it's growing. Okay, okay, mm -hmm. cool. Such a cool. Story. I didn't know that that you started your own business. How is that going? How's the Molly Pettit LLC going? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's going well. Um, there's uh, a few uh, things that are about to be um, live, which are exciting, and uh, you know, kind of. Um, more projects uh coming up about to be started so it's yeah it's going well it's it's nice I, it's it's enjoyable to have the freedom to kind of have the hours that you want and uh work from where you like so mm -hmm. i like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh in the meantime you've also been uh very busy attending and speaking at conferences right <laughs> Dude. How many That's did you attend true. this year? It's crazy. Like you were at Data Science Go, Data Science Salon, the tapestry. Is it like what tens, hundreds? How many did you attend? <laughs> no, not quite that high. Um, I think I've been to maybe three or four this year, um, and I'm about to go to another one. So I spoke at Data Science New Data Science Salon New York. Uh, mm -hmm. Data Science on Miami, uh, Data Science Go. Um, I feel like maybe I'm missing something, but I'm I, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, and like I spoke at Data Science on LA, but that was at the end of last year. And then I'll mm -hmm. be going to Tapestry in a couple weeks, so I'm looking forward to that. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, what what uh, what inspires you to talk at uh, speak at conferences? Like, well, it obviously takes a lot of your time. Why why do you do it? Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of really nice thing about things about speaking at a conference. Uh, I think one, it gives you the ability to uh, tell people about something that you're working on, something that you're really excited about. Um, it gives you a really good opportunity to meet a lot of other people who are uh, also in data science or in data visualization or are looking to get into it. Um, a lot of really interesting conversations. Uh, you get to learn about what other people are doing. Um, yeah, I think those are a lot of the reasons that I enjoy. Also, there's that added benefit of uh, just getting to travel or <laughs> travel around. Yeah. 
yeah yeah that's true that's true and kind of mm -hmm. like what you said it broadens your horizons helps you uh, not just think outside the box but sometimes in order to think outside the box we need some external input which is already outside the box in order sure, to like, yeah. start thinking like that Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very excited uh, to talk about, uh, you know, probably to start our conversation with what we were debating about just before the podcast, um, data science and visualization. Are these the same thing or two <laughs> adjacent fields? I, I totally love and appreciate your opinion on that. Can you share a bit more of us? Why, why do you think or what, what is, why is your position that data science and visualization are actually quite different areas as far as I understand? Oh, well, so I think that... I think there's overlap, and I think that um, I would say that data visualization is an important is uh, is an important part of data science. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that when you start getting into interactive kind of front end data visualization, which is a lot of what I do now, the reason that uh, it is a bit different is because it, it requires the use of different tools uh, and languages. Um, for example, when I do data science, I tend to use uh, Python, whereas when I'm doing front-end data visualization, I use D3.js, which is a JavaScript library. So there's different, uh, yeah, there's different languages being used, and I think that I do think they, there's a lot of overlap. If there was a Venn diagram, there would they would definitely cross in the center, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, because something that's really great about data visualization is once you've done data science uh, and you have the interesting insights and you have these things that you want to then get across to an audience, which could be a massive public audience or perhaps it's just in an, you know, maybe an internal audience, um, data visualization is something that can then be used to tell that story really well. Um, and I think that having a data science background is very helpful uh, in doing data visualization. But uh, when you're doing data visualization versus data science, uh, you, you have just different focuses. With data science, you're trying to really uncover these interesting insights. And if you're doing like EDA, for example, whereas with data visualization, uh, you are trying to display those insights in a way that's very easy to understand. Gotcha, gotcha. What's, what's EDA? Oh, exploratory data analysis. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. No, Sorry. I actually, <laughs> that's okay. Um, I, I actually um, also identify that visualization can be used for two things. That uh, you can use it for, I call it visual data mining, <laughs> VDM. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the other thing is obviously presenting your insights and creating these yeah. beautiful visualizations. And I, I like how in your talk you mentioned what D3 is good at, and before you described what it is good as you actually said what it's not good for. And one of the things it's not sure. ideal for is when you want to do that exploratory data analysis, when you want to do quickly, quickly put something together, identify what are the insights, what are the trends, you don't want some, you don't have, it doesn't have to be interactive, doesn't have to be super presentable, just some quickly, uh, get some quick insights from the data. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, like you said, there are multiple reasons to do data viz, and some of them are much more tied into data science, like uh, using data visualization for this exploratory aspect. Um, were you wanting me to get into what D three is and what it's not, what it's not yeah. good for, what it is good for? That's okay. a good. That's a good point. Yeah, let's let's do that because I think uh, we've we've heard D three on the podcast before by some speakers, especially with Nadi. Uh, Coming on the podcast, um, mm -hmm. we're talking about Nadi Bremer here, um, and 
yeah, let's t give us a guide. Like, it looks like D3 is a tool that you use most often. Is that, is that about right? Uh, yeah, it's a really popular tool, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, but D3, so D3 is a little bit more complicated. Like, it, it has a more um, a more steep learning curve um, than some other uh, tools that someone might use. Um, for instance, there people sometimes might use a, a plot or they might use like a wrapper um, that will allow them to still use Python to create some of these visualizations. But the benefit of using D3 uh, itself uh, is that it is really flexible and customizable and you can make these visualizations do exactly what you want with a lot of different interactions, uh, hover and click and um, various things like that. So it's extremely customizable and lets you tell the story that you want to tell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I love D3 myself. I tried it uh, when I was back in Deloitte. We, uh, we had the option of, you know, we're picking a tool for a project and uh, we didn't end up using D3 because it was too complex. But nevertheless, my director and I, we decided to uh, have a challenge who can learn to mm -hmm. be the best in like two, two or three <laughs> weeks it was and we had to come up with visualization it was really fun like uh, g3 is is kind of like working with the web page and for our yeah. listeners like if, if on a web page you right click and we've all probably done this back then you right click and click view page source and you look into the html and css and so on so d3 actually manipulates all of that dynamically to place mm -hmm. different objects on uh, in the, like on the screen, and so it's really cool because it's so structured. Even though it's like it's a programming language, but like it's so structured in the way the same way as HTML is so, so structured. And I found it fascinating. And you're right; it has a steep learning curve, but it's so fun to like try yeah. things out because instantly you get feedback, right? You see, you see like this, like a rectangle on your screen and then all of a sudden yeah. it turns into a circle and it all happens dynamically. Sure. That whole library is so, so smooth. I like the smoothness of it. Yeah, it is. It's a steeper learning curve, but once you've gone over that hump, you're able to do so much. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. true. And so yeah. w when, when did you first encounter D3? Yeah, actually, wait, I have a question for you. Yeah. Did you enter that challenge and how did you do? Oh yeah, it was just my director and I and uh, we, nobody else wanted to join because it was too, <laughs> too complex apparently or something. Um, sure. And he was visualizing some client data uh, mm -hmm. and uh, about like trains or something like that. And I was visualizing, I, what I did is I took our team uh, it was like we had like 15 people on the team or 12 or something. And I got uh, the data from internally from um, about the billable hours, how much hours they're billing and how much hours okay. they're spending on uh, training and how much hours they're spending on something else like admin work. And uh, I put those into like into and I called it like the the pie factory because I create a pie chart <laughs> for every person <laughs> and you okay. could like click on it and then all these you know all this information would pop up you know what clients they've been working on how much money they've built and uh you really put into perspective like how much money everybody's bringing into the business and uh i think personally i think i won because <laughs> i finished mine on time even though it was simpler than his i finished on time and but his was more complex and it was it was mm. very also like had some cool dynamic visualizations in there but it was it was great cool. fun in there like and this is something that i found in your talk very interesting that so at the end actually 
you got some questions and one of the questions was how do you learn the tools how, how do you choose what to learn and what you said was that you don't actually pick the tools you want to learn you pick the project that you want to do like a pet project or yeah. a work project and then mm-hmm. you find along the way you you just decide or you see what you need what tools you yeah. need to accomplish the task at hand and you actually go and learn those tools as you're doing a project i thought that was amazing yeah advice. Yeah, I think I think really often um, people when they get like a new project or or a task that they're going to accomplish, try to tackle, uh, they think about okay, well, what do I know that can help me tackle this? Um, but I think yeah, I think it's it's nice and better to go at it in terms of well, what's the best way that this can be tackled? Do I know how to do that yet? And if I don't, maybe is this a good opportunity for me to learn that thing? Yeah. Um, to tackle this problem, so yeah, and, and you also mentioned in your talk that what was that company, Datascope, that you work for? Datascope, yep. Yeah, at Datascope, that they had that philosophy that it's if you have a project, you need to use the best tool for that project, even if yes. you don't know it, as opposed to a tool that might be good enough, which you know really well. So you have to, like, even if you know like five tools that might be good enough, you shouldn't use them. You should use the one that's the best. And if you don't know it, doesn't matter. Go learn it. I love that. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to learn it. That was something that I really enjoyed about working at that company is I, I think that it's easy to have the the other mentality of I'm going to do what I know. And mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, working there really kind of got that out of me and, and it got me to a point where I felt way more comfortable um, being like, oh, yeah, I don't know this thing. Let's figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's that should be the mentality of a data scientist, right? Like. Mm-hmm constant curiosity um anyway let's let's jump back to d3 so uh what is uh, d3 what what does the abbreviation stand for why is it triple d yeah d3 stands for data driven documents okay and what does that mean (laughs) yeah so data driven documents uh data is what you're going you know the data that you're going to be putting into some sort of visualization um documents is your web document uh, so your website and, uh, so driven would just be the act of, I guess, mm-hmm. putting that into the website. So using data to make stuff on the web. Nice. Nice. Uh, and, uh, basically what that is, yeah. So when, when was the first time you encountered D3? Uh, I think the first time I encountered D3 was, um, early on at Datascope actually. Mm-hmm. So, so when was I it, first, was it a project? No. So when I first started at Datascope, they used to have um, the setup where when somebody was new at the company, uh, rather than going right onto a, um, a, a client project, they would have an opportunity to do a pet project uh, mm. that was not, they would dabble in, they would um, kind of slowly get involved in client projects. Um, mm-hmm. But this kind of gave them an opportunity to, to get settled and to learn something new that they wanted to learn. So um, when I first started, I decided to do a pet project uh, that was a network, uh, this app, a web app that uh, would be a network diagram of Star Trek characters um, mm. because I am a Trekkie. So I, I scraped a bunch of, I scraped every single Star Trek uh, 
episode transcript and movie transcript and um, put together this app where people could select uh, any combination of episodes and movies and hit engage and a network diagram would appear uh, using D3 um, that would show the connections between the various characters in that selection of episodes and movies. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Very, very nerdy. <laughs> very nerdy. Yeah. And then once, once that uh, diagram had appeared, people could uh, click on a node to focus on it and, and have it highlighted and its connections and choose particular characters they were interested in. So, so how long fun. did that take you? Um, the actual visual visualization part, I'm not sure. Uh, the whole project took a couple months, but that was, be, that, I mean, I was not just doing that. Um, there were other things happening at the same time. And uh, that also, though, involved a lot of things in preparing the data to be visualized, like the scraping of all the transcripts and getting everything set up uh, in such a way that it would be usable in a visualization. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of different steps for that project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. And what I love about you know, approaching it like that is by the end of those, you know, it sounds like quite a lot, a few months, mm -hmm. but by the end of those few months, you have a super brand new skill. You might not be like the expert at D3, but you know that there's certain things that you already know how to do it. Like you might, in three months, you might be, you know, 70% up to speed or 80% up to speed with what D3 is all about and how to use it. So, so you build up so much confidence in that time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was, it was definitely a great introduction to D3. And also, I mean, I hadn't even actually done a huge amount of um, web scraping at that point. So th that also was a very good crash course in that um, because this was not, these were not like uh, straightforward setup sites. They were very inconsistent. So there was a lot of like exceptions to <laughs> account for. Okay, gotcha. So that was good too. There's a lot of different things that I had to do for this project. So I learned a lot along the way. Mm. And you're kind of like uh, on the, you, you are in both fields. You're both in data science and you've done data science work and you're in visualization. As I understand, you're doing more and more visualization work now. Um, yes. Why the, why the shift? Why did you decide to like move away from the data science, the, the, I guess the web scraping, the algorithms and so on and move more into the space of visualization? Um. Yeah, so I I enjoy. I, it's not because I don't enjoy data science. I I do, and I still enjoy that. I I still get to do it um, uh, when I'm doing data visualization projects sometimes, and I like having the occasional just straight up data science project. But I think the reason I like to focus on data visualization is honestly, I just find it really fun. Um, I really enjoy creating uh, these this ability to tell stories really well, um, an ability to highlight things that are really interesting, uh, and also coding, uh, when you're creating something in D3, for instance, you know, you, you write a few more lines of code and you hit refresh and you get to see this new thing that you added. So, mm. um, that's really nice too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of more, more room for, it's kind of like more quicker feedback. You, you get yes, the result yeah. faster yeah. rather than waiting a few months. Um, okay. All right. And um, what would you would you recommend this path to data scientists? Like maybe listeners who are tuning into this podcast who are not yet sure if they want to do data science or visualization. How would somebody make up their mind of which way they want to go? 
um, pick a project and do it. That's the best way I can ever think of it to figure out if you like something. Um, I think that if people really enjoy kind of the, the visual and design aspect, um, but still want to use, you know, some data science, I, I think in order to understand which way you want to go, you really just have to pick some projects and do them. I think that's how I learned, uh, what direction I wanted to go every kind of step of the way is I just kept doing things. I kept learning new things. And, uh, once I started kind of getting into D3 and, and visualization, I realized I really loved it. And I started, uh, while I was still at Datascope asking to be on more visualization projects and by doing more and more of them, I realized I just really liked that. And I kind of started focusing more on that direction. So I, I think the way to know if you like something is to do it. Gotcha. And I, I I can see that D3 and from like from my experience with it and from the visualizations I've seen. There's by the way, there's a really cool library like uh, by Michael Bostock. It's called mm-hmm. uh, what is it called? Blocks B L dot O C K S or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, the website. Dot yeah. org. Blocks dot mm-hmm. org, like that. But it's like B L dot B L dot O C K S dot org or something like that. Yeah. Uh, we'll put in the show notes and some really amazing D3 visualizations and templates that you can use and copy and then adjust and just explore or like all open source. Um, so I can see that D3 is way ahead in terms of the capabilities than other tools. Like even Tableau, which I love dearly, great, great tool, but it's more agile, it's more drag and drop. It allows you to create visualizations very fast, but at the same time, even though it has a lot of flexibility, Nowhere near to what D3 offers, but you know the price you pay in D3 is you have to code, you have to you know design right. every visualization yeah. very carefully. So what mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you is, what do you, what do you see in the future? Do you see that uh, D3 will like it has a future? It's been around for a couple of years and it's uh, it's had like a really interesting path. But do you see like other tools edging it out and more people moving to tools like Tableau and more like drag and drag and drop, uh, self serve analytics type of tools or do you see that there is a market, there's place for more sophisticated, more sophisticated tool like D3 in the space of data visualization? Yeah, I think that there's room for both. And I think they have different applications or different reasons to be used. Um, like you said, Tableau is really great. And something that's nice about it is you don't have to learn a whole code. language. Yeah, you don't have to code. Um, you can very quickly uh, make some really beautiful things. Um, because uh, you're not actually coding, though, you have less control. And and uh, so if you're trying to do something very complex, you may eventually kind of hit a roadblock um, and hit the end of the capabilities of, of being able to customize the way you want. Uh, and D3 is more complicated to learn and has a is harder to learn, but it is much more customizable and flexible, and uh, you are able to um, uh, customize things in the way that you want, uh, and you don't really hit these roadblocks that you might hit um, with Tableau. So I think that there are I think that they're both are very great and they have different strengths and different weaknesses. And so I think that they're both going to stick around. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. that's good because like it's uh, in one of the previous podcasts I had uh, one of the guests said that made a good comment that it's important to understand also what are the few, what is the future of a tool before you go and learn it? You know, like 
is this tool going to be around? And by the sound sure. of D D three is going to be around. But by the way, how's the community no, in D three? That's how I. So has the community? Yeah, is there a community in D three? Like people, like when you have a question or somebody has a question, do they do they post it online? And is it easy to get answers and help and guidance? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, I well, so there one thing that's really nice is blocks, which you've mentioned, mm-hmm. um, which is. A lot of times if you have something that you're trying to make, especially when you're first starting, uh, you can often find an example for it in Blocks. Um, mm-hmm. So what Blocks is really nice for is you not only get to see this like interactive visualization right in front of you, but the, the whole code is right below it. Um, there's also, let me make sure I have this right, BlocksBuilder.org. Mm-hmm. And something that's nice about BlocksBuilder.org is you can access any of the posts that are posted on Blocks but it allows you to write there, edit them. Um, and what that's oh, nice. good for is, yeah, what, that, what that's good for is, let's say you're looking at some code and you're like, hmm, I'm not sure exactly what this line does. And you can edit it and see if you break it or see if the color does change or, you know, you can do things straight in there um, to very quickly get an understanding of what things are doing. Um, so that's really nice. And then also, I don't know if you've actually, have you heard of Observable? No, no, I haven't heard of it. Okay, okay, so Observable, it's kind of like a Jupyter Notebook, but for D3. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so Observable, it's a website, um, and it was also uh, started by uh, Mike Bostock. Um, but, yeah, it has that kind of setup where you can easily kind of, like, tell a story, but then within that story have uh, have code and have a working interactive visualization in the middle of it. Um, mm-hmm. very much like a Jupyter notebook, but specific for kind of front end interactive stuff. Wow. Um, yeah. So I think that there are some, like you can definitely find some D3 answers on stack overflow, but I think something that's really nice about D3 is you can also just find a lot of examples. So even mm-hmm. if you can't necessarily find someone who's asked the same question, you might you could probably find someone who's done the thing you're trying to do. Gotcha, gotcha. And, yeah. and there's, even, there's even a conference you said in San Francisco about D3, right? There is, yeah. There's D3 Unconf. Um, the last one was last September. Uh, it didn't happen this year. Oh, okay. um, but it will, it sh- I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be happening next year. I'm not involved in planning that, so I don't have specific yeah. details. Um, and as far as the community, there's also a, a D3 Slack that I'm a part of that has oh, nice. like upwards of, let's see, I'm looking at it right now, about 4,000 members. Okay. Um, and there's a help section in there. So sometimes mm-hmm. people will post in there and say, I'm trying to do this thing, um, but it's not working. How do I do it? And people will respond there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and what's, a, what's an unconference, by the way, while we touched on this? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I can tell you a little bit about what the what it was. Uh, so it, it it's a lot less, at least this particular unconf. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't full of talks, so mm-hmm. there was only uh, one or two talks, um, mm-hmm. and I believe they were done by Nadia uh, mm-hmm. as well as Nadia Bremer as well as uh, Sarah Drasner, mm-hmm. and those were at the very beginning of the unconf. The rest of it were um, these discussion sessions where you would there would be maybe four different discussions going on at the same time, and you would choose a room to go to, and you would be you would discuss that topic. And sometimes that would involve some someone being at a computer and kind of pulling up things that people were talking about. Um, 
that were either D3 related or just uh, visualization related. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just kind of these guided conversations and, and a, a way for people to kind of meet other people who are doing a similar thing. So it was less, um, less talks and more discussion. Wow, interesting. And, and how big was this discussion? Was it like hundreds of people? Uh, not in each discussion, no. Um, I'm not even, I'm trying to think how many people were there total. Uh, probably within a couple hundred um, mm. total. And each discussion probably had upwards of 50 or so people in it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I heard from on conferences first from Pablos Holman, who was at Data Science Go as well. And uh, I, I have never been to one, but I find it uh, quite an interesting concept. I'd love to check it out. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was my first, it was my first unconf, um, but it was yeah. great. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for that uh, overview of D three and the future. I uh, hope our listeners are now pretty excited, and I, you know, can personally vouch for it. It's a really fun experience. Like I don't use it uh, anymore, but uh, what I learned in the process of learning it really was fascinating and helped me even improve the way I understand websites, the way I understand interactivity and what's possible visualization. Um, yes, it next, definitely improves that knowledge for sure. <laughs> yeah. And next, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, the case study that you shared with us at Data Science Go. Oh, um, sure. The case study of Illinois traffic. And I found that uh, very interesting how like uh, policemen pull over uh, people and you were actually investigating whether there's a uh, bias, specifically racial bias in how uh, police officers pick um, in the cars that they pull over, the cars that they search sure. and then the sightings that they give a handout. That was a really cool project. How did that all start? Yeah. Um so the way that started was I went to a meeting and I don't remember what the meeting was called. This was, I think, a, a little over a year ago. Um, and this meeting was for people in tech who wanted to give, use what they use their knowledge and use what they can do to help in some way. Um, so the people that were at this meeting were people in tech uh, he wanted to find some way to volunteer and help out. And then also organizations that wanted that help. Mm. So at that meeting, I ended up meeting um, Karen Shelley or Karen Shelley. I would like to check on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so at that meeting, um, I met uh, Karen Shelley, uh, who works for the ACLU. Mm. And she had mentioned that she really needed uh, or at least really wanted to have some sort of a data contact because they were trying to put together a traffic stops report um, that would just go through the analysis of this traffic stops data, who police uh, pulling over and searching um, and citing, et cetera, in different agencies, uh, different law enforcement agencies across Illinois. Um, and what they were really just looking for is somebody that they could call on for help. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, if they had questions about the analysis or the data. Um, and we said, well, I, I was there with a colleague and, and we were like, we could do more than that. Um, we could help with the analysis. Uh, mm. The people who were doing the analysis at the, um, at the time, uh, it was mostly kind of some simple Excel uh, stuff that was being done. Um, and we wanted to kind of help them uh, 
do something more complicated with this so that they could have an even more uh, in-depth report. So mm -hmm. we worked with them to do this analysis uh, and look at the you know search rates and etc across different um, across different agencies, and then it eventually evolved. And uh, I started working with them on a website uh, that would walk people through this analysis that had been done. Um, and they could look at these uh, data visualizations that would be interactive. They could choose different agencies. Uh, they can click on things and get more information. And it would really tell the story of what these uh, racial disparities and traffic stops look like in different agencies. Gotcha. And so I, I'm. Uh, you mentioned that the website at the time when we were recording this is, is not yet live, but it's about to go up. So by the time recording is live, it's definitely uh, out there already. What's uh, what's the website? Where can people uh, go? Maybe even right now while they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, if you go to IllinoisTrafficStops.com, uh, you'll be able to find it. Nice, nice, and uh, yeah, it's uh, so it's similar to the visualizations that you share at Data Science Go, right? Yes, uh, I shared some of the visualizations at Data Science Go. Yeah, I, I think okay. I had a bit of a Chicago focus, but on this particular website, you can look at uh, any of the agencies. Okay, fantastic. All right, so yeah. um, that's how you guys met, uh, and that's what you um, helped them out or decided to help them out with. And so, how did the project go? So, like, you you got this idea, um, then what happened? Like, was this part of you? You obviously had a job at the same time, so this was like a free time project that you're doing. Yeah. So when it first started, it was it was a it was a free time project. It was something I was doing when there was time. Um, but actually, something that was really nice uh, is I was able to incorporate it into Datascope at the time. Um, so as a consultancy, sometimes there is downtime, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because sometimes you just finished a project and you're going to start another project in a week. Yeah. Uh, and you're waiting for that to start. So I convinced everyone there that we kind of bring this in internally. And um, when people had a down week, if they wanted to work on this, they could. Mm. Uh, so for a little bit, it was um, kind of an internal project at Datascope. And that was really great uh, because then we were able to, you know, utilize this this time that would have been downtime anyway to do something that we thought was really exciting to work on and important. Um, after the acquisition, uh, one of my colleagues, my former colleagues at Datascope and I kind of kept up with it. Um, mm -hmm. Chris Kucherzik. So him and I have been the, the main people kind of working on it this past year. Um, and then more recently, uh, a good friend of mine, Alex Alievich, uh, came on as a front end engineer. Okay, gotcha. All right. So now we've mm -hmm. got, we got the, the picture painted and our, our listeners are super excited and impatient to find out what was this project all about, how did it go. So tell us, tell us how, like, the... I don't know, I get the start, the starting points of the project. So you, what kind of data do you have? What, where does it come from? Who, um, and, and then we'll go from there. Sure, yeah. So uh, the data we have is whenever a person is pulled over in Illinois, uh, the law enforcement officer is required to fill out a form. And uh, that form details information about who was pulled over, um, what was their gender and race, um, information from their driver's license uh was why was that person pulled over uh 
once they were pulled over, did uh, the, the officer search that person, if that person was searched, uh, was contraband found or not? Um, and then what was the result of that stop? Was that person cited or given a verbal or written warning? So that's the data that we are working with. And what the data looked like raw was uh, one, uh, you know, line of data for each uh, for each stop that occurred. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gotcha. And just to uh, clarify, the, the officer had to guess the gender, the race of the person. Uh, gender would be on the driver's license, but the race they needed to guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. OK, gotcha. Um, and so then you visualize that like, uh, unfortunately, we can't share a visualization on the podcast. But <laughs> we'll include a link to the to the website in illinoistrafficstops.com, right? Is that the URL? Yes, illinoistrafficstops.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll include a, include a link in the show notes and people can check it out there. But basically you have this visualization of uh, how, what, what different races the police officers would stop, right? And where did you go from there? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, the first thing that we looked at is who was stopped. Um, we didn't end up focusing on a stop rate metric though because there's there's a, a few reasons and i kind of talked about this in in the talk um but uh some of the reasons where we why we decided not to do that was because it's not a metric that's very accurate um because if you were going to do a stop tell us, rate, tell us first of all what is a stop rate like i i found yes. that part of your talk very interesting because that's that's the first oh. thing i would jump at right like without you know thinking through all these reasons that you're going to mention just now the stop rate is, is indeed the first thing that comes to mind so what is a stop rate and and then why why did you decide not to go with that approach sure yeah so the stop rate would be uh, it would refer to the metric calculated by dividing a race's stopped population by its driving population. Mm -hmm. So of the uh, drivers of a particular mm -hmm. race, um, how often are they stopped? Mm -hmm. So the stop rate. Uh, yeah. and the, oh, sorry. So, so for instance, <laughs> if you have, um, let's say, I don't know, let's say you have 100,000 white people in in a city and you over that period of time over a year or whatever period of time you're looking at if 10,000 uh, white people were pulled over by police then the stop rate would be 10 percent 10,000 divided by by 100,000 but if you have um let's say 50,000 african-american people in the city and they were also stopped 10,000 times uh then the stop rate there would be greater it would be 20 percent 10,000 over 50,000 is that right Okay, so that's your stop, right? Uh, but this is the part that I found really interesting. Um, it's not the best metric because we not knowingly actually make some assumptions about uh, these two data sets by calculating the stop rate. And can you go sure. tell us uh, about these assumptions that we make? And once once you uncovered them in the video, I was like, wow, indeed, this is true. This that that does make sense why it wouldn't be so accurate. So what would you what would you suggest to the other assumptions? Yeah. So in the talk that I gave, um, one of the first things I did is uh, kind of show the stops demographics of uh, Chicago and then compare that to the stops demographics or sorry, the population demographics of Chicago and mm -hmm. show the differences there. Uh, so what people often want to do is they want to take the population of a city 
and they want to assume that that's the driving population and then create a stop rate from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a few issues with that. Uh, one is that you don't actually know what the driving population is of a city. Um, you don't know, uh, you know, who drives to work. Maybe some people drive much further to work um, or take the train or walk. Um, or maybe uh, people are driving through other cities in order to get to work. So the driving population through a city might have might be very different or like a town. I think that's that's a, a lot more relevant for small towns um, that the people who are actually driving through that town might be that population might be different than the town itself. So comparing those two things isn't all that accurate because mm-hmm. you don't really know what the driving population was. So, so that's one. And then another thing that was kind of an issue is that on um, the traffic stops form, um, the traffic stops form and the census are a bit different. Uh, so on the traffic stops form, uh, Hispanic Latino is listed as a race along with black, Asian, white, etc. Where on the census form, uh, Hispanic Latino is listed as an ethnicity and then races are separate. So you choose one, are you Hispanic Latino or not? And then also what's your race? So that mm. makes comparing these two forms tricky. And then another thing is that um, when someone's filling out the census, they are self-reporting. Whereas an officer who has pulled somebody over is uh, making an educated guess of the race of that person. So there's mm. a lot of things that makes it hard to compare this data for an actually like accurate metric. Gotcha, makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very, very insightful. And so what did you do instead? Yeah, so instead what we decided to do is to focus on after a person was already stopped, what happened? Uh, So a big focus is looking at the search rates. Um, So once uh, of all of the stops that involve black drivers, what's the percentage of those stops that resulted in a search? So looking at that, you can compare what are the search rates for each race. Um, How does the search rates of black and Hispanic drivers compare to that of white drivers in that particular agency? Uh, And that's where you can, I think, get a much more accurate read on um, various disparities, racial disparities within the data. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. gotcha. And then then you actually developed another metric, which is to do with benchmarking, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> how, no, just tell us how that works, if you if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, so a common critique of the application of this test is that the rate at which drivers are searched, um, some people think, well, maybe that's not a good indicator of, of bias. Uh, perhaps a officer um, in his line of work has uh, noticed particular trends that uh, causes him to uh, search uh, a particular group of people more. Um, and so then he would just be doing appropriate police work because he's using his experience to inform his decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we also did is we looked at what are the search hit rates for various uh, races. And what I mean mm-hmm. by a hit rate is um, was contraband found or not? And what we found by looking at hit rates is that uh, in general, across agencies, uh, there was 
very few agencies where there was a significant difference, like a statistically significant difference between the search rate of white drivers and minority drivers. And in the cases where there were significant differences, um, it was often that the minorities uh, had uh, a lower hit rate than the white drivers. Mm-hmm. So in Chicago, um, if you're looking at consent search rates, uh, black and Hispanic drivers are searched about three times more than white drivers. Uh, but if you then look at the hit rates, uh, black drivers actually have a lower hit rate um, and Hispanic drivers is about equal, but neither of them are actually that significantly different than the white hit rate. So mm-hmm. their search rates are much higher, but the hit rates are not. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And I, I was very impressed and I think this, this is something that we need all to do more of that in your visualizations, you actually presented statistical significance. And you, I think you came up with a very eloquent way to do it. You just make something more transparent, like a data point or a, a part of your visualization more transparent, uh, yeah. less opaque if it's not statistically significant or if it's less statistically significant uh, than the other dots. And that's yeah. made really clear. How did you come up with that idea? You know, that was something we were racking our brains with for a while. We were realizing that being able to show statistical significance would be really important in this. um, Because if you're not showing what's significant and what isn't, you're only telling a part of the story. And it can lead also to making uh, conclusions that aren't quite right. um, Because you're you're assuming that all of these are equally important. Uh, So over time, we kind of we came up with this idea of just trying out using opacity. so yeah, as you said, things that are statistically significantly different. So if you're if you're looking at a plot, um, uh, if if a a rate for that particular race is statistically significantly different than the white rate for that particular agency, it'll be fully opaque, um, and otherwise it's going to be a lot lighter, uh, a lot more transparent. Mm-hmm. And so what and, what yep. Uh, yeah, as soon as we implemented it and we could see what it looked like, we're like, ah, this is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. great technique. I think, I think uh, it's a good tip as well for our listeners to take away. Once they see your visualizations, they'll be convinced that that's one of the best ways. What What thank would you, you say? What is the? Thank you. What What is the um, test that you use for the statistical significance? Let's talk a bit about that because. Uh, a lot of data scientists, especially if you're starting out, don't even consider the importance of doing statistically significant tests. Sure. Uh, so we use the z-test for two population proportions. Mm. Is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, in in a nutshell, what what does it allow you to do? Um, it allow. Oh gosh, let's see. No, just, <laughs> I haven't just, had time. Just about in short. Uh, like, w- why why do you need to do a statistical significance test? What is the risk if you don't do one? Oh, sure. Um, so, what you really so one of the things that we're showing in this visualization is we're comparing the rates of these of like of two races. We're comparing the rates of you know black uh, the search rates for black drivers in this agency versus white drivers. Um, but uh, Let's say there's uh, you're looking at a town and only two people were pulled over, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, or only two black drivers were pulled over, or um, those rates are going to be less significant because they're just 
there's not enough data. There's not enough information. Um, if if you pull over uh, two Asian drivers and you search one of them, that means 50% of the Asian drivers in that city were searched. That's high. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> when you realize, oh, only two people were pulled over, like that's not a statistically significant comparison. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, that's a great example. And so basically it shows you need, uh, need more data, right? Like that there's not enough data to make conclusive uh, or any statistically significant conclusions from this <laughs> to right. derive any conclusive results. Um, sure, yeah. because that number is still a valid number, right? It's still exactly the rate that is existent. It's just not enough uh, to to say that there's a a difference when you're comparing it uh, to the other rates. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally agree. And yeah, it's um, it's cool to see somebody in the space of visualization doing that because sometimes even practitioners in the space of like machine learning don't do that. Like I've seen models being deployed that haven't been checked for statistical significance. Whereas in visualization, it's even easier to forget about that. So it's a, it's a great, you know, you're leading by example. So other people, even, even when you're doing visualization, it's important to test these things. Yeah, thanks. Okay. So another thing I wanted to, um, so with this bias, right? Like I like what you said in the, uh, in your, presentation that you're not doing this to point fingers at people and say, oh, you're biased or you're biased. Sometimes, right. we, sometimes this bias happens unconsciously or subconsciously. And by looking at the data, because this is like a, an important ethical consideration, right? By mm -hmm. looking at the data, we can at least shed light on this bias and people become more aware of things that they might be doing unconsciously. I, I think that was a very nice way of putting it, that this that data science isn't here to shame people or here to cause, mm -hmm. like, uh, provoke people to more conflict. It's here to point out, you know, what is the state of things? Let's, let's shed some light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, like, what is what does the data actually say? What is actually happening? Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly what you said. Uh, the whole purpose is not to point fingers. Um, the purpose of, of doing the analysis and, and, uh, doing the visual or doing the website. Um, we're just really hoping that it's going to act as an informational tool, um, both for the public, but also I'm hoping that, uh, you know, officers at agencies across Illinois might look their own agency up. And if there are disparities, in the data that they might think about why that is and how maybe they could fix it. I think it's a really helpful tool uh, just to bring these disparities to light so that the law enforcement agencies of Illinois can make informed improvements in their agency. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And um, I want to, because we're getting close to the end of the podcast, I want to kind of... Sure. Uh, leave this thought with our listeners a quote that you mentioned on in your talk um, mm -hmm. now I don't know if you actually if you had this thought, thought uh, written down but it came out really well and you said it's hard to fix problems when you don't know what the problems are and it's hard to know what the problems are if you don't have the data mm -hmm. so that was I think that was really cool so um, in general racial bias is something we want to fix and it's a problem, right? But uh, you can't really know what's the pro. Sometimes these things happen 
um, some, sometimes we don't know the details of these things and you don't can't know the problem in full unless you actually go and analyze the data, which I think you've, you've done quite successfully with this project of yours um, Thank in you. the Illinois traffic stops. Uh, do you have any plans on doing any more similar projects where, um, you know, like pet projects where you help organizations that need need this you need to do data you need to use data to do good in the world yeah honestly i would love that uh i i would love if i could spend um the majority of my time on projects like this um mm. i <laughs> i don't know that i will ever be able to be spending all of my time on projects like this because they don't always pay. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, like this was mostly a volunteer project. It's something that I just really wanted to do. It started out um, kind of on the side. And at some point, I decided just to take a break from work and focus on it for a month and finish it. Um, so you obviously did a very successful project with this Illinois Traffic Stops initiative. And I'm sure it will help lots of people. Um, do you have any plans on doing more projects like that where you help organizations that use data and data science for good? Yes, uh, ideally, that's something that I would really love to do. Um, so there's, uh, first of all, this project could uh, be expanded. There's a lot more things that could be added to the site um, and more things that could be dug into. Uh, but additionally, outside of that, um, really wanting to do as much of this kind of work as possible. In fact, uh, the... Uh, people that I worked on this particular project with, um, if you do go to IllinoisTrafficStats.com and go to the bottom, you'll see that there's a little section, uh, a little support section, um, basically detailing how a lot of volunteer hours have gone into creating this and uh, that despite wanting to do it full time, you know, wallets don't always allow that. So there's a place where if people want to contribute to the continuation of this project, as well as other social good projects, uh, they can uh, donate with that link. And anything donated will only go to uh, the to basically pay for um, the creation of more projects, uh, either this one or similar that are all social good focused. Fantastic. I, I commend you guys on that. That's an amazing idea in fact i'll be one of the first people to donate i <laughs> i honestly like this is like one of the first things i'm going to do after this podcast because i often like i want to help in the world but oftentimes i'm kind of like stopped because i hear stories that with these like uh, a lot of the organizations that um you donate to you don't know where the money is going you don't know if it's going towards um, like the admin or is going is going somewhere else and you know certain mm -hmm. countries it might be going in the wrong in exactly the opposite direction than you, what you think but with these little initiatives little projects like that that are run by people that I personally know I know that like this is going to be used for good that is going to actually help contribute to the world so thank you so much for exactly. doing that and you have me on board with that already fabulous Awesome. Okay. Well, Molly, thank you so much for coming today on the show. Being fantastic. Uh, loved your talk at this time ago. Loved your um, loved our conversation today. Before I let you go, where would you say um, our listeners can best find you, get in touch, follow you, and your amazing visualizations and projects? <laughs> yeah. So the best place to find and follow and interact with me would probably be Twitter. 
Um, my handle is MP, which is M-O-L-L-Z-M-P. Mm-hmm. MP. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. We, we will include the, that uh, in the show notes. And yeah, um, we have one more final question for you today. What's your favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners to help them become better at their careers? Yeah, so I, I have a book in mind. Uh, it's it's D3 specific. So if you're out there listening and it's and D3 is something that you are interested in learning about and trying your hand at, um, my favorite book uh, for to recommend people for getting into it and learning is called Interactive Data Visualization for the Web. And that is by Scott Murray. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen, interactive data visualization for the web is your book recommended by Molly. Molly, thanks again for coming on the show today. Had a fantastic time with you and I'm sure lots of listeners will get amazing insights from our today's chat. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. So there you have it. That was Molly Pettit, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Lots of great energy, lots of laughs, and lots of interesting things that we talked about, such as D3, the case study about Illinois traffic stops, and using data science for good. So make sure to check out the IllinoisTrafficStops.com website where you can play around with this case study and actually see the interactivity of D3 in action on the website. Um, also, if you can afford it, then at the bottom there's a link where you can support Molly's effort of doing data science for good. I think that's a great way to give back to the community. Um, these projects often are very helpful, but there's no funding for them, so we can all help like that. Or on the other hand, you can use your own data science skills to create your own data science for good project or participate in one. And look out for those. I think it's a wonderful, fantastic thing. Um, a fantastic way of giving back to the world through your data science skills or if you don't have the time through supporting others. Um, also Molly asked me to mention that she has a meetup in Chicago so if you're in Chicago and you want to go to Molly's meetup uh, then you can find the link to this meetup in the show notes or you can go to meetup.com and look for Chicago Data Viz Community by Molly Pettit. Um, otherwise, all of the links for this episode will be in the show notes at www.superdatascience.com slash 231. That's superdatascience.com slash 231. You can get uh, the link to the meetup in Chicago, Illinois traffic stop URL, uh, the Twitter handle for Molly's Twitter. Make sure to follow her there and all of the other items that we mentioned in this podcast. On that note, thanks so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. And until then, happy analyzing.